to the extended cut. It's been two weeks. It's glad, glad, to, glad to be back. Joining me today, Ross Kellis from Irmo. Hello, hello, Russell, and to all the listeners. That's right. Well, um, thanks for giving us a little flexibility here, your patience. I know it's been uh, a couple of weeks off, so we got people on vacation. I went to Texas. John was gone. Andy was gone. So... Anyway, we uh, we decided to take a two-week break where we're back in the rhythm, back in the routine, and Psalm 29 was what we preached on Sunday, and I, I don't, I think there's a couple of things that we can talk about, because we haven't really talked a whole lot about a few things in Psalm 8, Psalm 138, that also find themselves in Psalm 29. Right. So, um, So let's just jump right in. There's no other way to swim, my friend. <laughs> Leave it to Ross. Leave it to Ross. No other way to swim than to jump right in. Verse 1, right? Psalm 29. Ascribe to Yahweh, you heavenly beings. I have a footnote. Me too. Next to heavenly beings. And my footnote says, Or you angels, or you sons of the Almighty. Those are different translations. Then I have semicolon, literally, sons of the gods. So one translation is, Yahweh, you heavenly beings. One translation is, you angels, or sons of the mighty. But those are just translations of the literal sons of the gods. Now, this has shown up in a couple of our other psalms as well, hadn't it? Yeah, it did show up in, uh, in uh, I think, Psalm 8. Let's read Psalm 8. Let's see where it shows up in Psalm 8. Actually, it, it uh, it's one of those crazy ones where it says, verse 5, you made him a little less than God. And again, I have a footnote. It says, the Septuagint reads it as angels, but it's literally gods, plural, or heavenly beings, but the word is Elohim, and it's plural Elohim. And Elohim's the Hebrew word for God. That's right. So you made them a little less than gods, the gods, because it's plural there. So that's interesting. Or just you wouldn't translate that. I mean, you could translate that a little less than God. A little less than you could translate it that, but sons of God. But it's literally, and it's. Most literally. Most literally, yes. It is the sons of the gods. Yes. Okay. Well, you got to get us out of this hole, Russell. Let's uh, let's see. Psalm 138, um, verse 1. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. Again, before the gods. So three of the psalms that we have done so far in this series, have had gods, sons of gods, something. What do we do with that? That's a great question, Russell. I think that we worship one God, and there aren't supposed to be any other gods. So... Because we're monotheistic. Right. Mono being one, theistic being God, monotheistic. Like we worship one 
God. It's hard enough to say I'm a monotheist and I believe in the Trinity, and now you're telling me there's other gods too? Yeah, really crazy, isn't it? I think most people would agree that there are little g gods. But when we say little g gods, we typically mean like other things that get our attention or devotion. But we really don't think of them as being spiritual beings that have some sort of... um. God-like. Some sort of power, some, some sort of yeah. semi-divine. Semi-divine, yeah. Semi-divine power. Clearly they would be created, but not, not the one true God, which is an interesting take, right? So when you think about all of the translations, so um, maybe it'd be good for our folks just to hear that even when you read your translation— in some sense, it's an interpretation as well. Yes. No no translation, and the reason for that is because we all come to the text with a presupposition. Mm-hmm. And so in Psalm 29, when it says, ascribe to Yahweh, you heavenly beings, the reason we don't translate it literally as sons of God is probably because there's this presupposition that um, there's only one God. Yes. And so because of that, let's translate it heavenly beings or another translation you might have says angels because like we're good with angels. Right. No problem with angels. No problem with angels. Just nope. don't call them gods. That's, don't call them gods. Yeah. That's that's like saying Baal's real. That's right. And so because of that, we have a we have a interpretation that's driving our translations here. And yes. so maybe, just maybe, there is multiple options here. One is that it could be just that it is um, an interpretation, right? Um, the other is that it could be a, um, it, it could be that interpreting this, you might say they're just angels. That's what that's what we would say. We would translate it and say they're just they're just angels. Um, the other way you would do it is you would say, hey, they're they're heavenly beings. That's really ambiguous. What does that mean? Is that heavenly beings like stars and moon and like those kind of heavenly beings? Mm. I don't know. And then you've got sons of God. Which could be another species of heavenly beings, sons of God. And, and then there's angels. And so you've got a variety of different kinds of heavenly beings. Yeah, the... Let's just say you and I were going to talk about this. Like we were going to teach on this. Let's say we were going to do Maymester and say, hey, we're going to talk about the hierarchy of spiritual beings, right? Or angels and demons and God. And Yeah. You know, somewhere you would want to find where this B'nai Elohim is. That's the literal piece of it, the sons of God, right? You mm-hmm. want to find where that is in Scripture. So Genesis 6 is where we see it. like For the first time? Yeah, for the first time. Like, it's translated that way. Yeah. And most people assume Genesis 6, um, like, they know that as the story of Noah and the flood. But before that, we get this really weird passage that says, when mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. 
There it is, sons of God, which we've always sort of interpreted as, well, we've all disagreed on that. And we've all disagreed on it, but most people would say, well, that, like the angels. Right. Bad angels yeah. that we would now call demons. Right. That they fell, and then it says, and the, Lord, and the Lord said, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth before, uh, on the earth both in those days and afterward, afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. So the Nephilim would be these people that are... The offspring of heavenly slash earthly creatures. That's right. So sons of God and man, daughters of man coming together and having children. And most of us stop right there and say, that's weird. Hurry up and get to the building the boat thing. You know, Russell, if I'm at Radius, I'm asking, why was this not in our DBS reading? <laughs> it actually was. Well, the story of the flood was, but not Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Right. It starts. The, gen- the, the reading that we were given from Radius starts the story as if Genesis 6, 1 through 4 doesn't even exist. Yeah. Starts it at verse 5. Yeah. So this is a really complicated Really complicated subject. Yeah. Um, and, and if I were in full transparency, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I've, I've done some reading on this. I've done some listening on this. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this sons of God language is and, um, and, and it's really interesting the way it shows up in other passages. Like they're like this, this idea of a divine council where, the one true creator God um, is surrounded by other heavenly beings. Yeah, in a hierarchy. And and so we would have like, we would know that there are these archangels like Gabriel. Mm-hmm. We would also say that there are seraphim and cherubim that are different. They're guardian angels. Like, you know what I mean? Like you got, you got a whole world. Yeah, there's different, different things up there that we just don't really think about or talk about a whole lot. And then um, how does, like we know that there's the fall of man, Genesis 3, but has there been a spiritual fall? We would say, you know, yeah, like Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 27, like there was this fall of Lucifer, but then were there, was there also some others that clearly in Genesis 6. That's, that's a fall right there. That's the, the sons of God coming down, literally coming down and producing yeah. wicked offspring. Yeah. And so maybe there's, even within the spiritual realm, that, that there have been those that have decided, you know what, we're not going to be faithful to God. Mm. Wow. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And when Paul speaks about we're in a, we're in a spiritual war and there's principalities and powers, who are those beings? Mm-hmm. And clearly, if there's, you know, spiritual beings that we're at war with, they had a fall. At some point there, they weren't created, just like us, to be rebellious, but they became rebellious That's right. at a certain time in history. So maybe some of those beings we could call sons of God. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we've got, um, we got a lot of interesting things here. I mean, you and I could probably go to lots of passages, right? Yeah. Like Psalm 82 Seems to be, I think it's written the entire psalm. Yeah. To, to describe the, the fall. 
to to describe the fall and the consequence of the fall of these sons of God. They have not done what they're supposed to do. That ultimately they will perish. They're going to perish. Matter of fact, at the end of the psalm, it says you're going to die like men. Right, which assumes they're not men. Right? Yeah. Um, And Jesus even quotes Psalm 82 to defend his own deity. Which is which is really dumbfounding, like in John 10 when he does that. And so, I mean, if we, you and I were to read all these passages and try to break them down, like this podcast would be awesome. Awesome, but it would be days and w- right. Yeah, week so by week. I, we just, I think it'd be fun just to tease that. So, you know, if we were to give people some reading, Psalm 82 would be an interesting read. Yep. Um, Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 would be, um, would be an interesting read as we think about. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, I think, verse 8 and 9. Yeah. Of, uh, just if they're reading it, because the whole chapter is really huge. It really is. So, you know, just thinking about a little bit of Deuteronomy 32 of of the what we would call the disinheritance of the nations and dividing the human race, which we know happened at Babel. But be pay really close attention in, in verse 8, again, my translation has a different word there at the end. It has Israel, but in my footnote, it makes it clear that it is the sons of God. Right, and in, in a lot of translations, it just says sons of God. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a result, there's some things there that make it interesting for us to try to try to think through. Um, you might say, why in the world is that important? Uh, for me, going back to Psalm 29, he is... David is making it clear that everyone is to ascribe to Yahweh, give Yahweh the credit he is due, even the sons of God, mm-hmm. heavenly beings. If you want to call them angels, if you want to call them whatever, mm-hmm. but even at the spiritual realm, everyone should ascribe to Yahweh the glory that is his. And, um, and it kind of assumes that maybe some aren't. Yes, that some aren't. Some people aren't. Some heavenly beings aren't. Yes. That, that our world is divided. That the world is at war. That's right. The seen and the unseen realms. And so as a result, um, I, I really, I, on Sunday, I preached Psalm 29 as a, a polemic, a defense of Yahweh against one of these heavenly beings, Baal, that that is, um, I think, seen a ton in the Old Testament. So I started my sermon by going to uh, 1 Kings 16, 17, 18. You know me. I like to tell a story. Yeah. So I tell the story of Ahab and worshiping Baal and building an altar and building a temple for him. And then Elijah steps up and says, man, we've had enough. And there's not going to be any rain. And the reason that's important is because Baal would have been seen as the god, the storm god. Yeah, it's like God's punishing Baal in that story. Very much so. And defeating Baal. Mm-hmm. And so we see for three years there's no rain. And so somebody's got to get credit for that. And are you going to say it's Baal who's holding out on you? Or are you going to say, no, 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 this is God saying, quit worshiping the the wrong guy. Quit ascribing glory to him and start ascribing glory to me. Yes. 
And, um, you know, oftentimes we just don't read our Bible with those things in mind, mainly because Baal is a foreign concept to us. But it wouldn't have been a foreign concept to an ancient Near East Israelite. No. They would have, this would have been, and, and clearly with Ahab putting a altar and a temple there, they would have, they would have known that Baal was known as the god of the storm. And the Israelites would have thought that Baal existed. Yes. And perhaps Baal is one of these fallen divine beings. Sounds, more teasing. Yeah, more teasing. Maybe he is. Yeah, so maybe maybe Baal is actually a fallen angel of sorts. Yeah. So we could either see Baal as a figment of human imagination. Yes. And he's a little G-god that... Like, we made him up, and that's all there is to it. Like, there's no real power in that. Which is what we usually think. Or um, you sit back and say, is he a fallen heavenly being that might have a little power? Mm. And as a result, maybe the reason why they're, in the story of First Kings 17 and 18, they're dancing around, cutting themselves for hours it's because maybe they've seen his power displayed mm. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And maybe he, maybe this being has actively deceived these people in some way. Yeah. And maybe he doesn't show up in 1 Kings 17, 18 because he knows he can't win. Mm. Right? Right. I don't know. So those are some interesting ways to think through this um, when, when you read it. And so... When I read verse 3 in Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is above the waters. If if Baal, according to, you know, the Ugaritic text, it cycles of Baal, like he defeated Yom, the god of the sea, then he would have been the one seen as above the waters. But David here is saying, no, it's really Yahweh that's above the waters. Yes. Um, god of glory thunders. Whereas Baal would have seen as the storm god. When the thunder goes, that's Baal. When lightning flashes, that's him. And here David is saying, well, it's actually Yahweh who's doing this. Hmm. Um, yeah, the whole psalm like, becomes a lot more powerful when you think about it as a polemic or um, like an argument or something against the power of Baal. Yeah. Uh, the cycles of Baal, if you, if you look at it, there are seven cycles of Baal. And in this text, there are seven times the voice of the Lord is mentioned. Maybe. Is it odd or is it God? <laughs> Maybe. Um, you even made Andy laugh on that one. <laughs> uh, so what's interesting to me as I was reading this, there's this crazy story in the cycles of Baal about how Baal's sister, after he defeats uh, Moat, the god of death, Yom, the god of the storm. Like she says, you need a temple and we need to build you a temple out of the cedars of Lebanon. Let's go there and we're gonna build you this magnificent place. Hmm. Not only that, but Lebanon would have had been smack dab in the middle of Mount Hermon in the middle of this Phoenician, Canaanite empire where they would have thought a lot about Baal. So it's like God is saying, I'm going to come to your territory and I am going to show you my strength and I can crush the cedars. The place you're going to build your house out of, I got it. 
I'm over that. And that's why it says in verse 5, the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Yeah. The Lord, the voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. If this is really about Baal, then that has to harken back to 1 Kings 17 and 18, doesn't it? Where God brought fire down from heaven, yet Baal could not. Is it kind of like lightning? Yeah, I think so. Bless you. I think so. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Did Baal being seen as a fertility God? Like if, so I didn't talk a lot about this, but like this altar that Ahab would have built in the temple that he also built for Baal. We know in places like Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 29, 17, I believe it is, that gives us just a little bit about what all would have happened um, when, when they were, um, worshiping Baal. No, it's not J- Jeremiah twenty seventeen. Um, boy, I, I don't have that right at the tip of my tongue there. Oh, well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we do not have the whole Bible memorized. We don't. Sorry. Yeah. Um, boy, there's this place in there where he talks about uh, sacrificing infants to Baal, and the the altar of Baal would have had hands that they would have heated to, they would be white hot. And they would have put infants on those hands and sacrificing babies. Now, in the worship of Baal, because he was the fertility god, they would have had all kinds of orgies. And you could imagine all kinds of unwanted pregnancies. And what would they do with these unwanted pregnancies? Oh, yeah, especially if it's a cult like temple prostitute. Yeah. You would just burn the baby. You're just going to put the baby on the altar. I mean, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. This is this is gross. This is the orgy, the sacrificing of infants, like all of that. And here we have in, in Psalm 29, he says, the voice of the Lord makes the deer drop its young, give birth. Like, clearly, this is this is. Yahweh's doing. Yahweh is the one who is in control of life and death, not Baal. So all of this crazy worship is... Sometimes it just really helps to understand the background, you know, of what is being spoken because this is a very uh, assertive claim over the worldview of that time where the person, the writer of the psalm is... Really, is he? He's not being dogmatic. He's being very assertive, though, in his faith about God, and that gives me courage as I think about, you know, communicating to people today. It's like we can have confidence in in God, even when we live in a godless world. Yeah, and just like they had confidence in Yahweh, even though they lived in a what was then a very Baal world. Yeah, I found that passage, Jeremiah 23. Am I a God who is only near? This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. I have heard 
What the prophets who prophesy and lie in my name have said. I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the minds of the prophets, prophesying lies, prophets of the deceit of their own minds, through their dreams that they tell one another that they plan to cause my people to forget my name as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. And he goes on there, but just constantly just saying, am I, am I like Baal or am I bigger than Baal? Right? Mm. And so same thing here in, in Psalm 29. Um, anyway, just interesting. Again, it, it shows up in, in a lot of places in, um, in Jeremiah. In, uh, um, Jeremiah 19, 5, they built high places to Baal in which to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, something I have never commanded or mentioned. I never even entertained the thought, God says. Why are y'all doing this? Like, why aren't this isn't even on my radar, and y'all are doing this. Like, it's crazy, isn't it? Mm. And so for this psalm to be written, um, I just don't think we know how pervasive Baal and these other false gods were, and just the, to be, the need to be reminded that mm. God alone is, is high and lifted up. And if we connect what you're saying, yeah, if we connect what you're saying to our early conversation about sons of God, it makes me think, wow, this divine being deceived so many people. Yeah. And that puts the Israelites in the context of spiritual warfare, just like we are today. And that um, God is powerful over the gods, over the heavenly beings over all principalities and powers. I know we don't have, we don't live in a world where we think much about it, but as I mean as I as I encounter this new age movement that's going on, that's really applicable. Yeah. They're still very much in communicating with spirits and there's still very much an active worldview of people. He's, and that's kind of as you know, that's kind of on the rise. So this psalm, yeah. you know, is helpful in that regard. I um I also wonder, like when we think about faith, we think about putting our faith in Jesus, putting our faith in God. I think for the, I think for the first century Jew, I think for the, the ancient Near Eastern Jew, I think this was a declaration of loyalty. And we don't think about it in terms like that anymore. Um, but I wonder if maybe we begin to think about our faith as a, a declaration of loyalty. Like, I'm going to be loyal to God no matter what. Mm. Um, it's just been interesting for me to begin to think about that. Like, we think about whose team am I on, who's, you know what I mean? Like, we have these loyalties where we wear colors. That's that's a powerful application of this. Maybe we need to make a declaration of loyalty to our God. Yeah. In this context. Yeah. And in the midst of this pandemic. And I wonder, I wonder if I wonder if the guys who wrote our New Testament, when they think about baptism, when they think about Lord's Supper, when they think about those things, were they thinking about those as declarations of loyalty? Almost like covenant ceremonies. Yeah. Same way we would have a wedding, and we are declaring we're going to be loyal. 
yeah. to this person for the rest of our lives. Mm. And those of us who hold marriage high, as, as we see it in scripture, the reason for that is because it's a, it's a declaration of loyalty, isn't it? Yeah. And, and so, man, when we stand up and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with the, the bread and the, the, the cup, we remember, like, we, we remember what he did, and we want to be loyal to him and declare him. And when we go into the water and come back out, we are saying, I'm with you. Hmm. You know what I mean? And for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, that would have been, you're making a statement. A real one. You are today, too. Making a real one today. I just, I wonder if sometimes we, it just kind of becomes. Ho-hum. Yeah, kind of flowery. Oh, you got baptized. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're making it, we're making a strong declaration of loyalty. Yeah, I mean, in Islam, you know, was, if you got baptized, you, in, in some sense, they were okay if you accepted Christ. Um, in some sense, that would get you in trouble too. Yeah. But if you got baptized, oh, you're throwing down. Yeah. We don't see it like that anymore. No. It's a, it's a definite declaration of loyalty to, to Christ and to a whole other faith, and yeah. that's when you will get ostracized. Yeah, I I think I think we almost have we we think about loyalty more in terms of our sporting teams and our states or nationalism or politics far more than we do when we think about loyalty to God Almighty. So, it's some interesting thoughts there. Um, starting to do a little reading on that as well, and I'm wondering, man, should my should my faith and trust. Like when I get to this and it says, the Lord gives his people strength. How do you know you're his people? Because you've declared loyalty to him. Mm. Right? Yeah. How do, how do people know you're a Clemson fan or a Gamecock fan or a Republican? You, you declare your loyalty by putting a bumper sticker. Like, how do you know who you're voting for? It's Biden, whoever, and you know what I'm saying? Like, you put those things on to declare your loyalty. Yeah. You know, how do we do that with 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 God, yeah, and are we doing that? Yes, are we doing it? Yeah, because clearly Psalm 29 is saying, I want you to declare your loyalty to me in the midst of a hostile um, environment. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. Right, and then a whole polemic against the false God of Baal. Yeah. Um, Man. So reading Psalm 29 that way is a lot more powerful. Thank you. It's pretty fun. Fun to think about. Ross, it's good, man. Always. I hope we, uh, hope we didn't make your heads hurt too much. Or, but, man, there's some good reading out there on the sons of God. Call us. We'll talk more with you <laughs> offline. <laughs> yeah, we will. Ross, thanks, man. We'll do it again next week. And uh, you guys have a great week. <laughs>